The information presented in this podcast is intended to be for entertainment and educational purposes only. It should never be used in place of advice given by a mental health or medical professional or as a substitute for mental health treatment. If you're struggling with a mental health issue, please seek professional help. Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Fangirl Business. I'm Catherine. And I'm Krisha. And today we are continuing our conversation about the 19th episode of Supernatural's 15th season, Inherit the Earth. And we are now going to turn our attention to what is not the subtext, but it's just Destiel. Yay! I'm just not going to get tired of saying it like that, so just (laughs) get used to it, I guess. I'm going (laughs) to... call attention to the fact that it's not subtext uh, every chance I get for the rest of mm, forever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I think that we want to start out up front being very honest about some of the content that's going to be part of this discussion mm-hmm. as a, sort of a, a content warning, which is that we are cast Destiel hopeful mm-hmm. and plan to talk about it in that context but we are also very much aware that there is tremendous anxiety surrounding the fate of Cass and what's going to happen with Destiel yeah we both understand that that comes from a very real and important place of you know that we're sort of in uncharted waters here when it comes to supernatural because I think for so many of us and I, I don't know that I've talked about this, like, explicitly on, on the podcast. I know I talk about it on Twitter, but I identify as bisexual. So mm. this ship means a lot to me in terms of representation for that reason, mm-hmm. as well as a, a whole number of other reasons. But it is personal. And I get that queer representation or the lack thereof or feeling toyed with or feeling invalidated is a very personal hurt for a community Mm -hmm. that has been just dismissed and and overlooked so many times in in just the history of pop culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of us had made peace with this idea that Destiel was not going to happen and that, you know, we were only going to get what we want in fan fiction. And it took a, it was a hard thing to get to that place of acceptance. Right. And then Cass said, I love you. And it just ripped it all back out. You know, it, it ripped off all of those protective layers that so many of us had spent such time cultivating, you know? Yes. Yes. And yeah. so now here we are very vulnerable, very nervous. And it's a very real anxiety and so we just want to be very clear about what we're going to talk about and and the reason that we're going in that direction is just because we're doing what we've always done which is going where the story has taken us but i don't know some of my some of my personal anxiety triggers are first of all being wrong (laughs) Which is very, you know, it's my perfectionism slash inferiority imposter syndrome stuff. So even talking about this stuff on a public platform is 
terrifying. Mm. But my other big anxiety is accidentally hurting someone. And so you and I cannot anticipate or hold boundaries for all of our listeners. Right. So we are just sort of begging you to to consider and take care of your own because we don't want anybody to get hurt. We don't know anything more than anyone else. We can't tell the future. Mm-hmm. We're just going to analyze what we're going to analyze. And we're going to see right. it the way that we see it. But we are not prophetic or all-knowing. So all that to say, if you are in a place where hope is painful, feel free to skip this one. Skip it forever. Skip it until next week. Whatever you need to do to protect yourself, all of that is super valid. And, and we really encourage you to do that. Yes. So, you know, with that said, we also want to acknowledge and thank everybody that reached out to us this week. Mm. It was such an incredible week in in fandom. Mm. So many people reached out. So many people offered just cool, cool ideas, cool thoughts, support. Just like, hey, we're so happy for you. Um, <laughs> hey, read this link. Hey, have you considered? You know, so this episode is really a a culmination of our awesome community of listeners so Mm. thanks thank you yes (laughs) this was this week was for as much anxiety as there is it was a lot of fun so yeah yeah Hmm. it definitely has been and also just really encouraging to see how excited people were and how they were having their own ideas and thoughts and reactions in response to what we were talking about on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Cause we, we have a lot of episodes come out the last week. <laughs> we really did. Yes. That's a big week. So it was. We were desperately trying to catch up. So, um, it, mm-hmm. but it was really, really gratifying to see all of the responses and the responsiveness of everybody listening because, now that you are full on editing with me, Krisha, you know what a slog it is to get through an episode. Mm-hmm. And so I felt really encouraged by all of the ways that people were responding as we were kind of like going, okay, we can make it to the top of the hill. We, we can, can do it. We can do it. We can do it. <laughs> <laughs> so that really helped. Yeah, all those conversations were so fun and all of the love and support, you know, and it's from like shippers and non-shippers. It's just everybody. It was just really Mm -hmm. lovely. So yeah, thank you all for being so lovely. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. So, so, okay. So in, in our conversations this week, we talked, you and I privately about all manner of things, trying to, to get some semblance of order for what we wanted to talk about. And then I don't know, I was doing something. I was like in the kitchen, just doing something completely mundane and had one of those moments where I just like stood up and smacked myself in the head. Okay. <laughs> when it came to theories, because it's like, oh, okay, is Cass going to come back? Is Cass not going to come back? I mean, that's the Where's Misha, right? Been playing the Where's Misha game far longer than any of us have wanted to. And that yeah. is the primary stressor. Yeah. It is a stressor. It is that's indeed. That's the big one. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so months ago, you and I noticed that in the title card, there was some like little hidden snippets, like the the men of letters symbol and the Samulet. Is that right? 
Yeah, the else? amulet. There was, well, the, the big one that was the most noticeable, so I think people were supposed to notice it first, was the Hell Ghost. And right. that was coming out of the that initial sort of flash of color and it was the one that was very much the most noticeable but also Mm. in that first sequence before the splat that goes to supernatural there was the amulet and there was the men of letters Mm -hmm. symbol and yeah i think those were the three main ones that i noticed Mm -hmm. but then was the pentagram in that too, or was that after? I think that's after, and I didn't okay. actually see that, the anti-possession symbol. I didn't find that one until this week. Yeah. But, like, the, the reason I smacked my head... Is because... Is because it's the title card for season 15, and it's the friggin' empty. Yep. Yep. Like... <laughs> so... Usually yep. the title card is about one of the big themes. Yes? Yes. One of the big reveals or the big themes. Like that's how that yep. works? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, the, the title card is the friggin' empty. And that's the one storyline we haven't resolved that hasn't been paid off. So that's right. Smackhead. Okay. Yep. But also... I mean, we saw with the Jack explosion that that was part of the title card. And they, like, rolled right into it mm-hmm. from, like, where he exploded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. <gasps> oh, So that whole thing with the empty smoldering and burning and cracking is that's Jack's explosion and aftermath. So like they were they were showing us all season what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's Smack more it. in there. There really is. Yeah, and we've talked about it on the podcast before, but I think it takes on new meaning in the context of what is going on. Well, when we talked about it originally, it was because we were calling it biding subtext. Because at the beginning, so before and after the splat both, there's all of these symbols that are all bathed in pink, purple, and blue, which is the colors of the bi flag which are colors mm-hmm. that have also been reflected in parts of the show, like Last Call. That was the color scheme that was all the way through that episode. Yeah, and... with the lighting on stage mm-hmm. while they were singing in particular. Yep. And then it was in the church. With Dean and Cass at the altar. So it was just like, oh, they got bi-flag colors all the way through here. Look at that subtext. Mm-hmm. And now I'm looking at that title card like... It's full of bicolors and empty. Well, and the, the crazy thing is that there's more. <laughs> there's a flash of wings opening up to blue skies. Yes! Okay. And what happens is that before the splat with the explosion, there is pink and purple, but mostly this scheme is dominated by blue. There's little tinges of pink and purple, but most of it is blue. And then you have the splat and the explosion with the smoldering stuff. The empty goo. And then it goes to wings. 
Mm-hmm. And that's part of another flash of color. But this time, the pink and purple and blue are much more evenly distributed. And then we see the anti-possession symbol in there. Yes. So the, the wings look like season eight title card wings. And then it opens to blue sky. But they're not like burning wings. Yeah. And then it goes into the color scheme that's more balanced and has the anti-possession symbol in it. Yes. And if you don't know, the symbolism of the bi flag, correct me if I'm wrong, Krisha, is that blue is traditionally associated with masculinity, Mm -hmm. pink is with femininity, and when you blend the two together, you get purple. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of like symbolism for being attracted to both masculine and feminine presenting people. Right. And so the way that I take the symbolism of the color scheme progressing to more balance is if we're taking this in a really meta place, which is where I'm going, man, I'm just going all the meta, (laughs) is like Dean, his whole life has been performatively masculine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And he is this, this sort of embodiment of traditional masculinity, and I think very specifically American masculinity, Mm -hmm. which is very like, you know, he, he, owns a classic car he listens to rock and he has guns and he's and he fights bad guys it's american midwest (laughs) masculinity like it's pretty specific Mm, i think okay Okay. which is which was kripke's vision for him yeah he's talked a lot about and yeah it is a very specific flavor of masculinity Mm mm-hmm So if we're talking about the idea of him being bisexual, but he's feeling the need to be performatively masculine in this very specific way, I love the visual metaphor of all of the blue being central and then like the pink and purple kind of pushed out towards the edges, Mm. like the the parts that he, he identifies within himself going largely unrecognized and and pushed out to the margins. Mm. And then I love the idea of the wings coming back Mm. out of the empty Mm -hmm. and that leading to a suffusion of all of these colors together. So it's no longer just the blue with the, with the purple and pink pushed out to the edges. It's all of the colors in together and a full embracing of, of who he is. So he doesn't have to be performatively masculine. He can be, whoever the heck he wants to be and embrace Mm -hmm. all the different parts of who he is. Yeah. And man, that I get excited about that. So I think that you're right. I think that they're totally laid out that whole subtextual arc for us in the freaking title cards, Krisha. And it's wild. And I don't, (laughs) I, I think I went, through it i used some software to slow it down to like truly absurdly slow i think i saw all the flashes but it's really hard to tell but yeah i love that you did that you know the thing about the cast slash destiel anxiety right now is that if we focus only on the show if we focus only on what the show is providing the hope there is is so significant and Mm -hmm. it's all of the outside stuff that causes so much stress Mm -hmm. so we're trying to we're we're trying to stick with what the story is telling us because Mm -hmm. with the cast reveal 
so much of what we thought the story was trying to tell us was confirmed Mm -hmm. that I think we just need to continue to trust that the story hasn't been lying to us, that the story has been telling a very specific progression. And so maybe we can talk through that progression a little bit, how Dean has progressed subtextually through the course of the season, hit on some of the high notes. Yeah, I feel like... Dean's overall story arc in season 15 is all about him becoming what I call self-actualized, but what that means for him is becoming authentic Mm -hmm. and allowing himself to be himself as opposed Mm -hmm. to being what he thinks he should be. The good brother, the strong hunter, the macho guy, the charming guy that, Mm -hmm. you know, has all these superficial relationships with women. We've watched him progress over the course of this season to question what is him and what is Chuck to try to sort through that. Mm -hmm. And they've shown it in these really subtle ways, the ways that he's starting to just be himself. So Mm -hmm. for example, we see him buying cooking magazines instead of busty Asian beauties. Mm-hmm. Or we've seen him singing on stage with a male friend, mm-hmm. letting himself go in that way to, to do what he loves. seen him have dance sequences which took place inside his own head but within his own head he wasn't performing for anyone it was just him just him sort of letting loose and doing what he wanted to but then it didn't stay there he talked to sam about it said no, I always thought I could be a good dancer if I wanted to be. And Sam casually supported that. Like, yeah, you were great at the Macarena. And we joked, we joked about, oh, Sam was just so casually accepting. I wonder what else he might be so casually accepting about. Right? <sighs> Supportive brother trope. And here we are. <laughs> Because, you know, Sam would be totally cool with it. Sam would be like, finally! Oh, my God! (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (sighs) Yeah. And then we saw him wearing a purple, by the way. Mm -hmm. A lavender nightgown. Yep. Are you wearing... Oh, you gotta see this thing. It's like I'm wrapped in hugs. I don't know where you got this, Mrs. B, but best gift ever we saw him wear hot dog pants oh my gosh we yep that's a whole line of imagery right there yep we saw him eating a hot dog in front of the beaver Mm-hmm. just really enjoying that hot dog he's called himself the meat man multiple times this season so many times. <laughs> that, that's real bacon dean you're damn right it is Meat Man! <laughs> Victory! Now, burger time. Meat Man! Coming to town! And, and 
Sam has been like... By the way, for what it's worth, you gotta stop calling yourself the meat man. It, it, it doesn't mean what you think it means. <laughs> yeah, it does. And we're like, <laughs> maybe it is. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what was the sign that was in, in back of him with... The meatpacking um, plant. The meatpacking plant, yep. And his jacket said by instead of FBI because the F was cut off. Sure did. Yep. So they've been doing a whole bunch of stuff. And last call. I mean, just the, the entire episode, just the whole thing. Every yep. single bit of it is by Dean yep. subtext. Literally yep. the whole thing. Yep. And then we get to him wearing an apron and cooking birthday cakes and mm-hmm. you know just being so so soft and so loving and and doing the things that he's slightly embarrassed by but doing it anyway giving himself mm-hmm. the space to sing on stage to make a cake even if it's mm-hmm. not as good as mrs butters in so many ways we've seen him become his more authentic self to allow himself to have what he wants even if toxic masculinity would dictate that he shouldn't have it he's letting that go he's letting those traditional gender roles or expectations go Mm -hmm. and embracing what he wants Mm -hmm. and now here we sit we do we sit on the cusp (laughs) of what we think is gonna be like just like slightly changing the entire show forever Um, and it's really mm -hmm. really hard to sit here and know that we still have days and days yeah (laughs) before we know i think too like there's a very like we've talked before about how there's a very specific cast oriented anxiety so that's kind of skyrocketed through the the roof because there's always cast anxiety but i think part of the anxiety was people expected him to be in at least a little bit of episode 19 and he Mm -hmm. wasn't yeah so maybe we can talk a, a little bit about the way that he was present through that episode in other ways that are leading us towards hopefulness or how perhaps the absences were loud and very pointed in a way that leads us towards hopefulness. Mm-hmm. Well, before we get into this episode, there is one major thing that we missed oh. from Despair. Right! <laughs> that I can't believe we missed. I am truly... I mean, okay, we were a little bit overwrought, so, like, fine. And there was, um, like, a lot. There was so... Like, we're going to be talking about that episode for forever. But, yes, Oof. we would like to draw your attention to the scene with Stevie and Charlie in the kitchen. And the scene begins, I swear to you, with a close-up of a gas burner. On low. So we get a close-up on the low heat. And Mm -hmm. we hear Stevie say, The trick? Low flame. Don't rush him. Not too runny, not too dry. And then Charlie says, Oh my god. Told ya. Well, how are they like this? Why have I been eating rubbery trash eggs my whole life? <sighs> Babe, I swear, you are making these for me every morning. Low heat. 
Slow burn. Mm-hmm. Slow burn. Don't rush him. <laughs> Low flame. Bow <laughs> bow. I know, right? Dang, <laughs> Nabbit Bobo. That man is killing me. He is killing me. Oh my gosh, yes. Anyway. Oh my gosh. Just needed to share that little nugget because there's a literal close up of the low flame slow burn fire as they talk about how you can't rush it. Nope. And then they're perfect. Can't rush it. So. <laughs> no more rubbery trash eggs for us. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so this is all pointing us in a very specific direction. Mm-hmm. And then we get into this episode. And I, I think we talked a little bit in the last episode about how we think it was framed to be directed towards a very specific subsection of the audience. Is that fair to say? I think so. I mean, I, I feel like they invoked a lot of imagery from fan fiction, which we'll, we'll get into a bit more. Mm. But but I think they were right from the intro. They were signaling that this was going to be directed towards a certain portion of the audience. And I noticed it and you noticed it right off the bat, which was when they had the recap, there was mm-hmm. no I love you from Cass in the intro. And that was, I mean, like, we broke the internet last week so, <laughs> with with those words. I love you. Destiel was trending, like, right up there with election stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they, did, they didn't have it in the intro that recapped that scene. Yeah. So I think very early on, they were signaling that they were going to be framing this episode in a very specific way for a very specific audience. And I think that held through for the rest of the episode, really. But there were little nods here and there that were loud. <laughs> well, and so the, the framing that you're saying is that it was being put together for people that enjoy the brothers relationship and do not enjoy focusing on cast nearly as much. Right. Yes. So it was, it was very pointed that this episode was going to be for people who watch for the brothers and that's it. Yes. And so cast yeah. fans everywhere went. <sighs> okay. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Gird your loins folks. Yeah. yeah. No, very mm-hmm. much. <laughs> And so I kind of went, oh, what does this mean? This is this is making me anxious. Mm-hmm. Why? Why is this happening? And I kind of had that uneasiness all the way to the end. And then we got to that montage and I just went, wait, what? This feels like the end of the series. Why? What's going on? And so I, I think we'll get to that. But do you want to talk about all the sort of things in between? <laughs> well, I mean, we've talked about there have been episodes throughout the season that Cass hasn't been in. But even when he wasn't there, his absence was very loud. And mm. I would say that it was subtle in this one, kind of. It was they They did it in this masterful way where if you wanted to see him in it, he was everywhere. 
And if you didn't want to mm-hmm. see him in it, you know, it's probably easy to to not. But sweep him aside. Yeah. yeah. So, for example, when Dean meets up with Sam and Jack and they're walking through the town, they walk in such a way that there is a missing person in the middle. There is space for Cass. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Ah! Yeah. It's like this. Ow! It, uh-huh. It hurts. It hurts. <laughs> Ow! Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. No, I did not. Oh. <laughs> Ow. It hurts. Sure does. Ah. <laughs> um, you know, Dean still has the handprint on he his jacket. Does. He didn't take it off. He's got, like, blood on him. And he had to drive from Kansas to Minnesota. That's not a short drive. I was thinking that. I was like, that's not, that's a long drive. Mm-hmm. And he kept the jacket on the whole time. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so Dean gets there, and one thing I thought was really fascinating that they did was, so Jack asks about Cass. Where's Cass? Dean? He saved me. Billy was coming after us, and Cass summoned the empty. It took her, and it took him. Cass is gone. And Dean is having a really hard time making eye contact with anyone because he's in shock. I mean, he's mm. he looks to me like he is in shock. But when he says he's gone, he immediately looks up to check on Jack, you know, mm. because that's what Cass would want is for mm-hmm. Dean to take care of. Jack. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't look at Sam. He's still not looking Sam in the eye, which I thought was really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he said, he saved me. <laughs> and he did in more ways than one. Mm-hmm. I just think of it as being very romantic language. Very much. Mm-hmm. Very much. And then Jack has this scene where he's outside by himself and he kind of prays to Cass. Oh my gosh, that killed me. And I was thinking, like, he's the one that woke Cass up in the empty last time. I know. And I think he was trying to do the same thing, but he didn't have his powers. Mm -hmm. And it just, I don't know, it put me on edge. Like, oh, is he gonna, is he gonna show up? I know, know, right? Mm -hmm. I think it was meant to do that kind of like (gasps) work. But Mm -hmm. I I also just, like, my heart broke for Jack because he knew that he had lost his powers and this was before anyone knew that he had this new right. weird energy absorbing power. But he knew that he had lost his powers at this point and he can't do anything, but he still tries. Yep. Cast. Because... He has to try. And I think a lot of us have been in situations that are impossible and you you still try anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> because you can't not try and how like hard and heartbreaking that is. And it just, ugh, that like hurt my heart a lot. 
Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So already Cass is very much invoked at the beginning of the episode. And then Dean is continuing to wear the jacket. And so they bring Chuck in so that they can surrender. And <laughs> Dean, Dean is willing to sacrifice Sam. I mean, he's willing to sacrifice himself, but that's not new. We'll give you what you want. That's right. The whole Cain and Abel thing. Us dead. Whatever. I'll kill Sam. Sam will kill me. We'll kill each other. Okay? You pick. But first, you got to put everything back the way it was. The people, the birds, Cass. You got to bring him back. But the fact that he's willing to sacrifice Sam to get the world and cast back and the fact that they both talked about it and agreed to it mm-hmm. like that had to have been a conversation that they had together like we want him to save the world but let's make sure that Cass comes back in there too because sam isn't surprised he's he's like yep and honestly the thing that got me in that scene i mean obviously dean being willing to sacrifice sam to get cast back is you know a hell of a thing oh yeah i know it's the world too but still do you remember in 1301 Cass was killed by Lucifer with the Angel Blade in the season finale of 12. Yeah. And then we get to 1301, and that's when he is the grieving widower. Yeah. Right? That's that's where we're all like, okay. One of the biggest scenes that really brought home, I think, for many folks that Dean's feelings for Cass were really hard to deny that it was romantic at that point. Mm-hmm was when he was praying to Chuck and he said, we've lost everyone. And I think he specified Cass, but then he was talking about his mom and he's talking. And then he said, you got to bring him back. And people tend to use that scene to show Dean saying, you have to bring him back. But because it's like, bring him back. I think that it could have been spun either as them, like, Mm, um, mm-hmm. or him like to me i was always like oh. bring m or bring m yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so i'm like i know how i read it but okay chuck oh god or whatever i i need your help you see you you left us you left us. You went off. You said, you said the earth would be fine because it had me and it had Sam, but it's not. And we're not. We've lost everything. And now you're gonna bring them back. Okay, you're gonna bring back Cass, you're gonna bring back mom. You're gonna bring them all back. All of them. Even Crowley. Because after everything that you've done, you owe us, you son of a bitch. So you get your ass down here, and you make this right, right here, and right now. And in this scene, Dean says, you have to bring him back, and emphasizes the word him. Cass. You gotta bring him back. Oh my really god. Really clearly. You bring him back. And I was like. <laughs> 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 mm. 
That is not ambiguous. No. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> oh my gosh. See, double work. It's like the surface mm-hmm. and then there's this the the stuff that echoes in the resonances and oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. <gasps> okay. Yeah. Well, and then Chuck goes on to talk about how he wants them to experience eternal shame, suffering, and... Loneliness. Loneliness. Mm-hmm. So yes, he has taken the world, but he also knows that Cass is gone. He knows Eileen is gone. Yeah. You know, so loneliness means a whole lot of things at this point. Yeah. But this idea that, that Chuck thinks that it's a, a sophisticated ending for them to be lonely, mm-hmm. that that's... That's what makes a good ending. Eternal shame, suffering, and loneliness. Whew. That's deep. That's sophisticated. I don't know how to not read into that. That that's not, like, that Dean's not going to be lonely. That it's not the antithesis of right. Right, what he should be getting and what he will be getting. Right. Because the villain doesn't win. Mm-hmm. And the values that the villain stands for don't win. So, And it's not sophisticated. Like, it's not a page turner. Hell, even Chuck figured out it's not a page turner to leave your characters all alone. Yeah. Nobody, literally nobody wants that. Nope. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. We don't want that. Nope. Hello, Andrew Dad. Hi. <laughs> we don't want that. <laughs> I think he knows. Yeah, just in case you weren't sure. <laughs> I think he may be planning on making us very happy, Krisha. God, I hope so. I mean, if not, we have a whole bounty of evidence to show how badly they screwed up. Mm. But anyway, moving on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, then we see Dean uh, wake up on a whiskey bottle. So subtle. <clears throat> like, gosh, <laughs> what's going on there? I'm not sure. Hey. What up? You okay? I feel terrific. (laughs) Subtle as bricks. I mean, (laughs) we talk about how there's there's writing that has a deft light touch. (laughs) Then there's this. (laughs) Then there's this. You know, I will say, so we talked about in our last episode how one of the things in this episode that pissed me off more than anything was seeing Cass's name on the table because that to me signals resignation. Like, oh, yeah, well, okay. Mm-hmm. He's dead. We'll, we'll carve his name in the table and move on. Mm-hmm. The theory that I have read that is the only way that it makes sense for me is if Dean did it while he was like sloppy drunk because every time we see him in this scene he is on the opposite side of the room from the initials table oh yeah so like i could see him getting absolutely falling down drunk deciding that it was a good idea to start carving Cass into the table and then refusing to get anywhere near it again once he's woken up (laughs) like (laughs) i could see that that's accurate. That's really accurate. <laughs> the other thing that I've seen floating around is the whole, they spelled out his full name because they didn't want it. 
they didn't want another like full on war over is it cast with one S or two over mm-hmm. the table in the library. <laughs> well, that one was hilarious because Bobo actually liked a tweet that said that. Oh, <laughs> so that's basically Bobo confirming, uh-huh. like, yeah, that's we right. Couldn't do CW because it is you know the cw that invokes some stuff yeah but we were not going near cast cast <laughs> like you just get the big giant dramatic name that's bigger than everybody else that's <laughs> <Cass> deserves it <laughs> oh, yeah i love that so much mm-hmm. okay so the dog miracle whoa 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 look at you Hey, wow, <laughs> how did Chuck miss you? I would thought finding a dog would feel like a miracle. Come on, miracle, come here. Okay, tell me about this, because I don't get okay, it. So Break it down for me. I think that in many ways, miracle is supposed to symbolize Cass, and I don't necessarily love that it's a dog. In that way, it feels strange to be like, Cass is being represented by a dog. But, you know. Okay. The dog the dog is the same color as Cass's trench coat. Okay. And, and like you said in our last episode, Dean doesn't like dogs. Nope. But here, he was just so genuinely happy to, to see this dog, to see this pure being. The dog was a miracle. Yeah. It was a miracle. And Dean opened himself up to love and show affection for something that maybe he hadn't let himself open up to in the past. Oh, okay. Because he's he's taken in Cass's words. He's internalized them, which he shows at the end of the episode. And it's made him softer. Yeah, he's, he's letting himself love. Yeah, he's... you know, I mean, I'm I'm sure like the reason that Sam always wanted dogs is because they represented normalcy and they represented companionship mm-hmm. and and love. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what animals do. Right. And Dean couldn't have that kind of attachment. Mm-hmm. He couldn't have attachments. He couldn't have that kind of emotional bond with anything. Right. And so, yeah, for him to open himself up to showing care and affection for this adorable little dog and that was a cute freaking dog man it was a cute dog and taking the dog away crushed him Mm. you know and this is this is his his miracle and i think that Cass is dean's miracle and dean got the dog back at the end sort of it was just like wandering around the neighborhood off leash. And I was like, no, it should have been a reunion scene where he ran into Dean's arms and Dean scooped him up and then put him in the Impala. I mean, if that was what they were going to do, they should have done it. Okay. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. The next thing that we have is the phone call. So the call was after Michael was around. And they go sit down somewhere and are like leaning their heads back against the wall in resignation. It was kind of reminiscent of that moment where they're like in the bunker and running out of air when they're trapped inside of it in season 12. Mm. And then like they have the brilliant bazooka idea. Totally. But here they get a phone call. Mm -hmm. And it's Cass. Cass? Dean, I'm here. I'm hurt. Can you let me in? And I was like, oh, yeah, Misha Collins wasn't in this episode. 
Man, easiest paycheck he ever had, huh? Oh my gosh. (laughs) And so in this moment too, before he answers the phone, Dean looks at Sam with his like OMG look. But then he answers the phone and Cass slash Lucifer says what he says. And after that, Dean does not make eye contact with Sam, which is what they usually do. Right. If they're going to go rescue somebody, they usually take that second of check in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Dean was gone. Nope. He he took those stairs two at a time, man. I am impressed by Mr. Ackles because he and I are the same age and (laughs) (laughs) he went up those stairs really fast. I'm just saying. He really did. Also, I would have tripped and fallen uh, up the stairs. (laughs) That would have happened for sure if Uh that was me. So yes, so he like bolts up the stairs. Like it is so fast. He's like literally taking them two at a time. And I was going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. But I was also going, this feels weird. Why wouldn't Cass yeah. just come inside? He's never needed an invitation in before. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't he just sort of like pull himself down the stairs and then just sort of collapse in? You know, like he, he does. He'll just sort of uh-huh. like get to where he needs to get and then he'll be like, Ugh. But no, it was Lucifer. And um, that was a train wreck. Yeah. I think they were doing some important stuff with white male privilege, with Lucifer and just white supremacy as well. But I think the most important thing about Lucifer coming back was that he repeated a pattern that has been his go-to for a really long time. And Mm -hmm. that is that when he is seeking access to somebody, he typically goes for people that are vulnerable and mourning the loss of someone that they love romantically. So it's not just like a friend that they love or a family member that they love that's gone. It's typically a love interest. So he comes to Sam in the guise of Jess when he's trying to convince him to say yes. He goes to Nick in the form of Sarah, his deceased wife, when he is trying to get Nick to say yes. And he goes to Vince Vicente in the form of, I believe it's his wife who is deceased as well Mm -hmm. in in season 12. So there are three repeated instances of him going and, and specifically choosing vulnerable men who are grieving the loss of someone they love romantically in order Mm -hmm. to gain access to their vessels. In this case, he was trying to gain access to them and inside of the bunker. But just like the these other men needed to open the door to him by saying yes, he needed them to open the door to let him in the bunker. And so he specifically targeted Dean and he used Cass's voice to get him to open that door. He surely did. Yep. That's a that's a thing that happened. That's a thing that happened on our television screens. And it's funny, the way that I thought of it, I was like, it's been a while since he's mimicked anyone. And I was trying to think of other instances where he'd mimicked people's voices. And then I was like, but I really remember these instances where he mimicked just people and came to these and then I was like and it was kind of a thing like he did that multiple times and it was like and it was Jess and it was Sarah and it was (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) 
legs mm-hmm. and I just went ah and then I messaged you and it was like three o'clock in the morning and I should have been in bed but dusty old man you were still awake and then we shrieked together yeah <laughs> well and it's interesting too just because he used Cass as a vessel for a long time which he means did. that unless Cass was shutting it down he probably had access to some you know some cast thoughts and feels just like michael did so he already knew i'm gonna guess cass's feelings just like michael already knew dean's feelings yep so you know yep it's just fascinating that because he antagonized when he used cass as a vessel he antagonized dean like i remember him mimicking the cass and Dean he being did. just like horrified. He did. And so he's been poking at those two in a awful and mean spirited way for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking back to earlier when he was um before they knew and he was pretending to be cast in the bunker and he like took off not just the trench coat but the but the jacket the business mm-hmm. jacket and had his sleeves rolled up was, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and he touched the wrong shoulder he touched yes! the wrong shoulder and dean was wigged out yes it's like boy <laughs> you two have it bad <laughs> but, and it's and it's interesting right because the whole thing is that and we've talked about this specifically in relation to the mark that the handprint that Cass left on Dean, he gripped him with his right hand, and that would have been like specific, a specific thing mm-hmm. because traditionally within Christian lines of thought, the right hand side of things is the holy side, and the left hand is negative and evil and often associated with the demonic, which is why people oh, like me who were left handed <laughs> were encouraged to be Mm right-handed for forever and so the fact that it's Cass but not Cass it's actually Lucifer and he reaches out with his left hand and touches him on the shoulder (laughs) just saying that's that's a whole thing and then like in that scene that you're talking about in the church where Dean is trying to get through to Cass and he yells his name and like Lucifer mocks him back and dean just like he does this like how dare combined yeah, he with flinched like, like yeah like with shock it's just like mm-hmm. yeah it was yeah so he has been poking fun for a long mm-hmm. time well and speaking of poking fun the grip you tight and raise you from perdition line has been mocked twice now in the past two seasons michael Michael Dean did it last That's season. That's right. And then Chuck just did it. You only tolerate the angel because you think you owe him. Because he gripped you tight and raised you from perdition. Or whatever. You know what every other version of you did after gripping him tight and raising him from perdition? They did what they were told. So these big bad villains are mocking the profound bond while also getting their ass kicked by it, which is delightful. That is delightful. The conversation with Chuck is definitely a place where Cass's presence 
is everything, but he's not named, you know? Mm. So it's one of those, like, if you've been paying attention, then when Chuck calls Dean the ultimate killer and Dean says, no, that's not who I am. That is stand on the couch, scream at the top of your lungs level character growth that we know is because Dean has now accepted what Cass said. Yes. He was blue screened and buffering at the time, but he was hearing. Like he was encoding. He just wasn't processing. That's right. You are not who the villains say that you are. And he has processed. Yes, he has. And he has internalized. Yes, he has. And he has accepted. And it makes me so happy. (laughs) Yes. You see yourself the same way our enemies see you. You're destructive, and you're angry, and you're broken. You're your daddy's blunt instrument. And you think that hate and anger, that's that's what drives you. That's who you are. It's not. And everyone who knows you sees it. Everything you have ever done, the good and the bad, you have done for love. You raise your little brother for love. You fought for this whole world for love. That is who you are. To die at the hands of Dean Winchester. The ultimate killer. Sorry, Chuck. See, that's not who I am. We knew in the moment that it was going to change stuff for Dean because so often people will say positive things to him and he'll literally wave it off or Mm -hmm. you'll just see it go in one ear and out the other. It just doesn't register. And this, you could see him taking it in as Cass was telling him all these beautiful truths about who he is. And so often over the past few seasons, Dean has been called a killer. Yeah. Catch when he was full raging psychopath men of letters catch said that he and dean were the same and that they needed to kill things in order Mm -hmm. to not go off the deep end and we've seen dean struggle with the mark of cain and how it appealed to those darker impulses and how much was that him and how much was that the mark and all of these moments where he's really wrestled with who am i and people have said to him a lot of times you're a killer Mm-hmm. You're a killer, Dean Winchester. And he believed it. And like, he believed for it. For sure. Mm-hmm. Down to his toes. I think he believed it. Yep. So what I thought was really incredible about the scene with Chuck is that we talked about how this episode was going to be framed to appeal to a certain audience of people that want to focus on the brothers and the brothers alone. Mm-hmm. And so Dean was able to say, that's not who I am. And... You could cheer, but if you wanted to forget that Cass got him there, the focus was still on Dean. Right, because he had to be the one that did the work. Like, Cass couldn't do that for him. Mm -hmm. He had to be the one that takes it in and processed it and came to terms with it and then acted on it. Right. So we're not saying that Cass gets all the credit because Dean did the work. But, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that my parents say a lot is that you just you kind of go through life and you can't 
make people do anything, but you can plant seeds and Mm -hmm. just leave them with people to do with them what they will. And I think that's exactly what Cass did. I think if Cass hadn't said what he had said, there might have been a different outcome at the end Mm -hmm. of all of this. I agree. But he did say what he did. And that Mm -hmm. led Dean to this beautiful place of, that's not who I am. Yeah. And the freedom of that. Mm. That was what I love. They just like turned their back on Chuck and walked away. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times when you're in conflict with someone, and maybe you can help me talk this through with your therapist background, but it can become a part of your identity. Mm-hmm. So you don't know how to stop engaging. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, we get into habits that are identity forming. Actually, I feel like narrative therapy might be a good thing to apply here. So narrative therapy is this type of therapy that essentially encourages us to look at our life as sort of a fictional story in a way and Mm. to pull out plot points. And you focus on these, these few things and you put them together to tell a story. But that story isn't always representative of everything. Mm -hmm. If you have screwed up five times in your life, you might take those five times, put them together and say, I'm a screw up. Mm. Whereas there might be a billion times that you didn't, but they're not memorable. They're not plot points in that same way. Okay. And so I feel like for Dean, he has this narrative that he is what everyone has told him that he is. And it can be very disorienting when suddenly that's no longer the narrative or you're you're recognizing that maybe you have to create a different one Mm. it can be very hard then to figure out what the hell am i supposed to do then if i'm not that person that i thought i was who am i in a very day-to-day what do i do next immediate kind of way like Mm. i don't know what i do now i don't know what my focus is supposed to be now i don't know what i'm supposed to say now it's sort of rethinking everything or can be when you're talking about it at the level that Dean is, mm-hmm. rethinking everything. There is no autopilot. You suddenly have to put real thought into every every choice, which can be very jarring and just hard, pretty exhausting, mm-hmm. you know? But I think that that's kind of what you're speaking to, this idea of changing the entire way that you approach your identity and your life and, and the choices that you make. Is that sort of what you were getting at? Yeah, exactly what you were saying. And I think sometimes also your identity can get tied to, like, even if you don't like conflict, if you get into certain certain patterns of being, you don't know how to live without engaging in the conflict. It becomes comfortable. Right. It becomes just what you do. Right. And so it can be very hard to let go and walk away from the conflict. Mm -hmm. Or from mm-hmm. the, the thing that you're used to doing. And so here, they they usually have to kill their enemies. Like, yeah. they usually kill the villains. I would say probably 90% of the bad guys on the show, they end up killing. Or they get a redemption arc and they go out on their own. It's either or kind of deal. Usually they kind of stalemate out. Like... If a villain persists, it's not typically because they're like, okay, we're going to give you a pass. Usually it starts with them stalemating out like nobody has the upper hand. And so they live to come back another day and have more conflict. (laughs) And Chuck was well and truly beaten and they walked away. 
when Chuck was writing it, Dean was obsessed. Like, he had to kill Chuck. He had to end him at all costs. And so for them to write the true ending is Dean being like, yeah, I'm gonna just let you wither away and die on your own because you're not important enough to me. I think that's what I was trying to get at this whole time. (laughs) So when you have negative things that you're thinking about over and over and ruminating on, or if you're engaging in a lot of conflict with somebody because you need to win, and I'm, I'm thinking about this through my own lens of my personal journey, it feels like I'm giving that person or that idea or that problem a certain amount of power over me. Mm-hmm. And to be able to relinquish that and stop thinking about it and stop engaging with it brings back my own power. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, it's Dean's entire story arc this season, which is that he's going to do what feels right for him, not what's expected of him or not what he thinks is expected of him. Mm. In many ways, it culminated in this moment. And it's because he got that validation. He got that. He was just he was seen. He was really seen, I think, for the first time by Cass. And Mm. it gave him the strength to go that last extra bit to say, like, okay, I'm going to do what I want. And I'm going to live in a way that feels good for me. And I'm going to make choices that feel good for me. Not Mm. that are expected of me by the villains or expected of me by toxic masculinity or expected of me as a hunter, like whatever. He's going to make the call that feels right for him. And for Dean, that is everything. That is everything he's never let himself do. And they check first to make sure that that's not going to negatively impact anyone else. Exactly. That Chuck is not going to regain his power some way. And once Mm -hmm. they've verified that, then they're able to walk away. Mm -hmm. And that's just freaking beautiful. It really is. The imagery of them turning almost in unison away from Chuck and just walking away towards baby was just so powerful. And Chuck lost it. Like he was so humiliated. He was so just horrified. Like that's his worst nightmare. Like death, getting killed by Dean Winchester. That's glorious. Withering away and being forgotten. That's, that's the true nightmare. It was fantastic on, it was anticlimactic, but it was anticlimactic in the best of ways. Yeah. 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 So, and I, I think... You know, going into Jack's speech, the first time I heard Jack's speech, I didn't love it. No, I still struggle with it. Well, when I listened to it through the lens of Dean and his story arc, it hit a little bit different. So 
Dean's trying to get him to come back to the bunker. And Dean's doing that thing where he assumes. You're gonna come back with us to the bunker? What do you mean? Of course he's gonna come back to the bunker. He's a man with a plan. He's top dog. He can do whatever he wants now. Come on. You know what? We'll spruce the place up. We'll get some recliners. We'll get you one of those big screen TVs. He's like, oh yeah, my, my, my kid, you know, like we're gonna go home. And Jack's like, no. And my heart broke because he lost Cass and now he's gonna lose Jack. I know. It just, I wanted to throw things because he just had this huge moment and he deserves a win and he's just taken another loss and it, ugh. And he was like, I'm going to make it super comfy for Jack so we can watch TV together. And that was super adorable that the first thing he thought about was watching some TV and having more of their movie nights because they already had movie nights together, Krisha. On a better TV. I'm happy. <laughs> it it hurts. hurts. I don't like it. No. I want Jack to go home. I do too. I do. I, yeah, I'm still processing. But Dean says, A lot of people counting on you. People with questions. They're going to need answers. And when I watched it the second time, I was like, I wonder if he's talking about himself. Like, he has questions, and he needs help with answers. Mm. And then Jack says... And those answers will be in each of them. Maybe not today, but someday. And it's like, that sounds like Jack telling Dean to maybe look within himself, and that he will find his own answers for the questions that he has. And Jack says... People won't need to pray to me or to sacrifice to me they just need to know that i'm already a part of them and to trust in that again relating that to dean it sounds like that's maybe him telling dean to trust himself you know to to be himself because jack is in him god is in him that makes him divine that makes him perfect i won't be hands-on chuck put himself in the story that was his mistake but I learned from you and my mother and Castiel that when people have to be their best, they can be. And that's what to believe in. It's not my favorite, but when I look at it in terms of, because he is talking to Dean, I can see it as him sort of encouraging Dean to, to trust himself, to trust his, his feelings and to recognize that whatever he thinks, whatever he wants, he may not figure it out immediately, but he does have the ability to figure it out. And when he does, he can trust it because he can trust himself. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really lovely interpretation. Thank you. It's helpful. I just personally struggle because (laughs) coming from a Christian faith background that look deeply inside of yourself and you'll know what God wants you to do line of thinking. It can tear people into a bajillion pieces trying to figure it out. Like, why doesn't God speak to me clearly? Also, it can be abused by people who are like, well, God told me this. Mm-hmm. And I need to go do it. So it's hitting some particularly um, 
tender points for me in terms of how looking inside of yourself for answers that are God-based can be problematic. (laughs) Yeah, I don't like it for our world. I could see it for theirs, just because theirs had been written by an evil God who was manipulating them literally for all of human history. Mm. So, you know, the idea that maybe people will be okay on their own if they're not being manipulated. Yeah, by an evil creator. But I hear you. I get it. Thank you. The big thing in that moment, I think that people were reacting to is that Dean doesn't ask to bring Cass back. Yeah. And I think people are very much struggling with that. Mm -hmm. As to why that choice was made. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. It literally doesn't make any sense. No, because he literally was willing to bargain his life to get back Cass. He was willing to bargain Sam's life to get back Cass. It was like a whole thing just in the same episode. And then at the end, he's like, okay, bye. And doesn't mention Cass or speak Cass's name. Well, and even Jack would bring him back. I mean, I don't understand why Jack wouldn't do it. Exactly. Like, it makes no sense narratively at all. No. It's like they didn't even try to make it make sense, though. It was just like they just leaned into, this is absurd. Just go with it. It's the last five minutes. Just go with it. (laughs) (laughs) And we're like, what? Why? How? When? Where? Like, I think what they're going to go towards is Dean has to do this for himself line of thought. I think that's where they're going with it. And so from that perspective, sure. But it's still got to make sense within the scope of the plot and the characters. And like, this doesn't make sense that Jack wouldn't bring him back and that mm-hmm. and that Sam wasn't on the phone to Eileen within like 0.3 seconds of Jack exactly. leaving. And, and all of that, like none of that makes any sense. Nope. None of it. And, and so if you were, again, if you are a fan that cares only for the brothers... Then, then that's like you wouldn't whatever. care about yeah. calling Eileen, or it would be like, oh, they're good, they're together, they're happy, they're driving off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. So, from a narrative perspective, and you know, obviously this is more your your bag than mine, but it seems like they are giving a particular ending to a particular group. Yes, people that just like the brothers. Here's your finale. There's a whole montage yeah. and everything. Yep. Well, and that's why I was so confused at the end was like, we hit the montage and I was like, this is what people do at the end of a, like literally at the end of, I think it was either the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings. They did like a whole montage with all of the different people bringing them all back on screen again. So you could see all the different, and I was like, this feels like the end of a J.R.R. Tolkien based movie what's like why is this except not nearly as epic it was just right. um <laughs> except it was like that lends too much gravitas <laughs> it was it's just so weird it was so weird it was so weird it was so it, weird and so geez. i was going what did what did i just see and then within i mean like two minutes of watching it i was like i feel like this was the finale, but for the people that only care about Sam and Dean. And mm-hmm. I was like, and that's just like, but I was literally going like we got, we got through the montage to the end credits. And I was like, did I just 
Like, was this the final? Did I just hallucinate that there's an entire other episode that's coming next week? Was this the series finale? And I, like, freaked out for, like, probably a good 10 seconds. Mm. It (laughs) was a very strange situation. Yeah. It was so weird. Okay, Mm -hmm. so let's, let's break that down. Because the ending was intensely cheesy. And so let's break it down from a Dusty L perspective. Well... I was reminded strongly of the scenes with Becky in Atomic Monsters, which was 1504, where she talks about one of the stories not being good because no one even mentions Cass. And this is all the while her house is plastered in Cass stuff, but Chuck walks around only talking about Sam and Dean and Cass, Mm -hmm. like, isn't mentioned. Oh, Krisha. I have to pop in a quick thing that I noticed this time. Hmm. So Atomic Monsters was directed by Jensen. Mm-hmm. And there is a scene where they are talking by the mantelpiece. And there is a Castiel figure that is in its packaging still on the mantle. And it is framed so that all you see is C-A-S. <laughs> Little ah we knew ackles was one of us (laughs) right that's amazing i cackled so hard (laughs) the only time this entire season and possibly ever on the show that we will see cas (laughs) and it was jensen because, yeah, they had to show us the phone again in this episode. Yes! Every episode. It's like... C-A-S-S. Come on, guys. No. You're still wrong. No. Listen, Jensen is on our side. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, the, so the, the ending montage through the lens of Destiel, it, I mean, it, it was... With Becky, specifically. So... She said in this version that Chuck is writing, because he before he writes his really dark ending, he's just writing. Mm-hmm. And she gives the feedback. Part of the feedback is that there's no cast, and that's mm-hmm. why it's bad. Yeah, and we went like deep into that in our previous episode on mm-hmm. Inherit the Earth, which is basically the, that what happened in this entire episode seemed to be that first draft of Chuck's. All the things that were... Mm-hmm uh anticlimactic about this episode it was everything that she described down to the music mm-hmm. because that's the thing about the montage at the end is that it was set to the song running on empty so mm-hmm. empty that's where Cass is so mm-hmm. it's invoking that it's a song about being road weary and isolated and how being on the road takes you away from the people that you love and the the relationships that you have Look around for the friends that I used to turn to the corner Looking into their eyes, I see them running through Running on, running on empty Running on, running on, running on Running on, running on, running on So the song is telling us in its lyrics that the boys are unhappy 
and that they are isolated and alone and they are sick of being on the road. And that's why I just laughed because the song is telling us that they're miserable, but the pep in the song and the beat and they're driving off into the sunset. It was like, it just depends on how deep you're reading it. That's right. If you're just looking at it surface level, boys are driving off into the sunset with a toe tap and tune. Mm-hmm. If you're paying attention to the details, if you've watched this show enough that you know nothing is surface, mm-hmm. then you recognize that this is a terrible ending. They're miserable and they're running on empty. Mm-hmm. So hilarious. <laughs> Brilliant. That's why I said this This episode, I originally described it as being absolutely so terrible that it wound its way back around to brilliant, much like Proverbs 17.3. That's right. So. Very much a similar, like. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. But there was, there was a ton of meta in there, though, that was embedded in the montage. So, mm-hmm. you know, it invoked... The, the stuff with Becky in Atomic Monsters in the, the... No one even mentions Cass. Even though Cass is everywhere. But from a Destiel perspective, they showed the curtain closing on Act 1 of the Supernatural musical from fan fiction, which is like the most meta of meta mm-hmm. episodes of this show. And so I went back and rewatched fan fiction you and I both did. Mm-hmm. And boy, on the nose. Like, <laughs> nearly fell out of my chair watching that now after watching this one. Because they went through and said that Act 1... So Act 1 was the one that Sam and Dean were there for. Act 1 was them going through canon supernatural. Mm-hmm. And it was really beautiful. And it was really profound. And it was really lovely. Cass sings a whole song about I'll just wait here then I'll wait for you to Dean I raised you from perdition to be God's ammunition and now you need some rest so I will do what's best and just wait here then that's all I'll do I'll just different it's different now had to had to breathe all the way through that song because it's so beautiful i always cried at that anyway just because i thought it was so lovely but now i'm like i'll wait for you oh god he's waiting for him at the empty oh just (laughs) (laughs) he's been waiting for him for years he's been waiting for it for 12 years and now he's waiting at the empty and just like oh God, and it's just so pure. Like the the mm-hmm. um the the character that sings it has like the purest, sweetest voice. She does is so and perfect. It's just, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll just wait here then. <laughs> Fan fiction is the episode that brought Destiel into the show. Like, it canonized it in, in its own way. And I know that that was a really important moment for you. It was a huge moment for me, Krisha. I was a casual viewer for, like, mm, probably 90% of my first run through Supernatural. 
And I had no clue about Destiel until I heard about it in fan fiction. <laughs> yeah. And I, I had not watched the whole episode since I became an intense fan. I hadn't really watched it since then. So I was watching it with these new eyes of the whole thing about the girl taking off this amulet because it keeps hitting her in the mouth <laughs> yes. just like kills me because now I know that that's why they got rid of this amulet mm-hmm. because Jensen literally chipped a tooth on that sucker mm-hmm. <laughs> but then that whole thing where where they're just having this conversation next to the Impala Sam he's like I don't understand me neither I mean shouldn't it be DSTL really that's your issue with this? No, of course it's not my issue. You know, how about Sastio? Samstio. Okay, all right. You know what? You're going to do that thing where you just shut the hell up forever. All right, so what? This, this whole this whole musical thing, everything, it's just, it, it, it's all a coincidence. There is no case. Unless you're seeing something I'm not. No, Dean, there's no case here. Okay. Cast Dean, shut your face. Get in the car. And I just went, <laughs> but like the reason that I knew to start looking for moments between Dean and Cass in the series was because of this episode. Mm-hmm. Because they talk about Destiel on camera as part of the episode. And so then yep. I started like from there on, I started looking and I noticed things like the mixtape scene. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, that was on my radar because the show told me to look for it. Yep, sure did. <laughs> As a casual viewer, mm-hmm. so so now let's get into the looking at it now. <laughs> yeah, because now now we have the question of who's the author, which has been raised. And so when we look at fan fiction, everything that was fan fiction, they kept saying was act two. So mm-hmm. the iconic line of... We do explore the nature of Destiel in act two. Which now is like... They put the intermission curtain in the montage. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they did. They did. Fifteen twenty is going to be act two. That's... Mm-hmm. And... And they put everything else in Act 2 also. I mean, they put spaceships and robots and ninjas and tentacles and, you know, all of that. It was all in Act 2. But the the one that they were very, very specific about is we explore the exact nature of Destiel in Act 2. And that's the same conversation where Dean was asking about the actors that were playing Dean and Cass. And she said, oh, it's just subtext. But then again, you know, you can't spell subtext without... S-E-X. Which hits different now. (laughs) Like, y'all are killing me now. You can't. You can't do that. I am fragile. Because they didn't have to pick the curtain imagery, right? They could have picked any moment from fan fiction. They could have picked the moment where they're all singing Carry On, Wayward Son. Absolutely. It was a it was a choice. 
it was a choice. And I think we've been seeing a lot of curtain imagery happening this whole season, which makes me think that they're doing even more, like the, the that we should be paying attention mm-hmm. to this one even more. Because we have a shot from behind the telescope mm-hmm. curtains that is is looking down at Sam and Dean as if we're looking at them down on a stage. So like there was that one and it was very much speaking to the idea of them being part of a play that Chuck mm-hmm. was putting on and just being very alone and isolated because that was how and where and, and why he wanted them. He wanted them to be in that state. And then we had Dean stepping out from behind curtains in his dream sequence and dancing. He sure did. (laughs) And finding freedom in dancing. And he dances with a lamp. Krisha. Sure does. With a halo on top. Has a halo on top. (laughs) That's a very sturdy lamp. Talk about it for the rest of my life, that lamp. So we have that moment where past the curtain, there's this very strong Destiel reference. Mm-hmm. And now we're having this curtain imagery again with the intermission wording across it. And like Dean's the only main character who's on stage there. He is. Hey, goodbye, Sammy. so true (laughs) and he's like in the in the the background sort of like not off stage but like in the back sort of in the dark you know Mm -hmm. waiting to Mm -hmm. come perhaps to the front yeah and and the the thing about fan fiction is that the boys didn't stay for act two usually this is where sam and dean take off before anyone asks any questions that's probably a good idea one minute folks one minute okay they never got to see they don't know what happened in Act Two. That's right. Because Act Two was created by the fandom. That's right. And so now we're wrestling with this idea of who's the author and who has the power to create the story. And Sam said, With Chuck not writing our story anymore, we get to write our own. <laughs> but let's be real here. We know that they're a fictional story. Like, we know that. And in Atomic Monsters, Becky is talking to Chuck, and Chuck wants her to fluff him. And she says, I like myself, Chuck. For the first time in a long time, I like myself. So I don't need you. Right, she rejects the idea that she needs the canon author because she's created her own. And then in this episode jack says it's not his power anymore so Mm -hmm. he the the canon author doesn't get to to have the power to control the story anymore and becky also said in atomic monsters the lines about how we don't care about the monsters we want them to talk we want domestics we want you know we want to to understand What's going on in their heads? So instead of reading your stories, I kept writing my own. Your own supernatural? Where the guys didn't have to hunt monsters all the time. You just sit around and do laundry and talk, you know? I mean, 
That's what people like the most anyway. And now we are staring down an episode where the big bad is vanquished. Mm-hmm. And I remember... There's not a monster. You and I talked about how. I was like, I don't know how to make it make sense because they can't kill Chuck before the end. But that seems like... Like, I was trying to put the... Like, if Cass was going to get taken by the empty and then... Like, how does he become fully happy before the big bad is vanquished? And so now they're doing it in this way that is kind of, I don't know, I couldn't make it make sense. Now they're actually doing that where they, they, mm-hmm. they took out Chuck before the last episode. And now we are staring down an entire episode where there's nothing to do mm-hmm. but see act two. Mm-hmm. And... I gotta say, I think that they're going to spend episode 20 doing a, a formal transfer of power from the writers to the fandom. Mm-hmm. And what does the fandom want? We want Dusty O. It is the biggest ship on AO3 by some absurd margin. There are 90,000 works of Dusty L fiction on AO3 right now. Wow. Like, that's what the hardcore fans, like clearly not all of them, but a a wide majority, it's what we want. Mm-hmm. And so we can come back to where's Misha? And Jensen said whatever at his panel, and Misha said whatever at his panel, and and I get all of that. But I cannot make it make sense. I can't make it make sense how this would be that they would dedicate an entire episode and have it just be the bros. We just had it just be the bros and they're miserable. Yep. Again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because that happened at the beginning of the, the se- season as well. Well, and what you and I were just talking about not long ago, I think it was in our, I think it was in the despair episode actually was about how part of the reason that we never thought that they would go canon is because of international markets and Mm -hmm. not being able to distribute content to certain markets that had that had queer representation in it Mm -hmm. well hey i'm not i'm not in that business field but why not just send 19 episodes instead of 20 then exactly they gave them an ending that's right it looks like an ending it feels like an ending i mean i guess if you live in a country that doesn't allow queer content in you know it's a bummer for the fans there but if they want it bad enough there are ways there are ways that's right and we are the kind of fandom that will support those who are looking for that kind of access Mm -hmm. so like i feel very confident that if there are countries that restrict episode 20 we will find a way to help out our fellow fans in those countries Yeah. Well, and so, again, when we lay it out like that, I cannot understand how Cass could not come back in 20. Like, I can't make it make sense. Agreed. And I, the hope is terrifying. And it, it gives me tinglies in my fingers when I think about it too hard, because what if they don't bring him back? But we've been looking at this whole season, episode by episode, in so much depth. And except for some jumbledness in the middle they really have had a very clear message that they've been working towards all season Mm -hmm. and we're here 
And from our perspective, it seems like it might as well be an airstrip with the amount of lighting guiding us to this one specific place. Yeah. Being canon requited Destiel. That's right. Why open the door if you're not going to walk all the way through it? Right. Meaning, why have Cass say I love you if we're not going to get an I love you back? Yeah. Especially when Dean's entire story arc is about acceptance of self and accepting love like allowing himself to be loved that's right so i I don't know if we are not right then this may turn into a rage podcast for a bit (laughs) (laughs) yes so you can tune in for that (laughs) (laughs) but i just can't like here's the thing they know that they have a reputation for queer baiting fans. Mm -hmm. They absolutely know that. As writers, they would also be aware of the kill your gaze trope. Mm -hmm. So I don't think they would lay out this whole story for us that we've been picking up on the whole way through, acknowledge that Cass is queer, and then be like, and that's all you're going to get, guys. Mm-hmm. Sorry. It just doesn't, it makes it makes no sense. And so I can't even, like, if they don't do it, if they don't have Dean come out as bi or as in love with Cass, I will be shocked. Same. I will be shocked. And I, so I'm really, like, I, I am knocking on wood, but I feel very confident that this is where it's going to go and that it's going to be beautiful and that, that like this time next week we are going to be screeching Mm -hmm. like it'll just be podcast after podcast after podcast (laughs) we'll just be going like "Ah, we'll do another reaction right after and i'll try to make sure my mic actually works this time and (laughs) yeah what yeah it's just and even for the casual viewer the casual viewer enjoys cast like, the casual That's viewer right. loves Cass. There's only a very specific subset of folks that don't love and appreciate his character. And so I feel like right. even a casual viewer, of which there are millions and millions, would be like, where the hell is Cass in this last episode? Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't make narrative sense No, to not have the third main character come back. For the finale. It just doesn't... Like, I can't make it make sense on any level. Like, at all. Nope. And nope. if they weren't going to use him in the finale, why not let him carve pumpkins? You know, they made a big to-do about how he couldn't yep. be in that episode because they needed him for for plot. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> you know, it's time for plot. It's time to do it. It's time to figure out what life after Chuck looks like. What is authenticity for Dean? What is what he truly wants? What is he going to allow himself to have? Mm -hmm. So, okay. So this is our last podcast before the finale. This is our last time to throw out a theory. So now, right now, what's your prediction? My prediction is that this coming episode is going to be all about found family. And they may be limited with who they could bring in because of COVID restrictions. But I think we will get some touchstone characters to speak to 
all of found family. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a big part of the episode. I think that Dean is absolutely going to find a way to get Cass out of the empty. I think that he's going to fight for Cass. And I think that that's part of why they didn't have Jack just bring Cass back. Mm-hmm. I is agree. because they want Dean to have to fight to get Cass back so that there's an emotional payout. He doesn't get it handed to him. He needs to fight for what he wants. Mm-hmm. I think that Sam and Eileen are going to get back together. I don't know if we'll see it on screen or not. I really would like to see it on screen, but I, I think that so. there will be... Oh, God, I hope so. I hope they were able to get her. It would be really sad if we don't. Ugh, I know. I really, really, really hope that we get Shoshana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think that that we will get enough that Sam and Eileen being together will be canon going forward for forever. And I think we will get canon reciprocated Dusty Owl. Mm-hmm. That's my prediction. My prediction is that we are going to get an I love you from Dean. And I would be happy with that. But I'm hoping for a kiss. Mm-hmm. And I'm also hoping for a scene in the bunker where they do the silent communication thing. And like... One of them looks at the map table and then looks at the other suggestively <laughs> and the other winks and is like, uh-huh. Oh my God, I'll die. And then it like fades to another scene. That's, <laughs> this is, that's my ultimate hope. <laughs> yes, that would be amazing. Oh my gosh. But yeah, that, that's my predictions. How about you? <laughs> yeah, I think that I do believe that we will get Canon Destiel. I, I do believe that we will get canon requited Destiel. I think we'll get an I love you from Dean. He has said, I need you to cast years ago. And I think it's time. Mm-hmm. I think it's time for him to say the words. Mm-hmm. I think Cass has earned it. And I think Dean has earned it. The ability to let himself yes. say it. I think that I agree about Sam and Eileen. I think that they will be together as well. I do think, let's see. I think we'll get a kiss. I really do. I don't know if that's pie in the sky, oh. but I really do. Because I feel like if they're going to do it, man, if they're going to make it to where episode 20 can just be left out in certain markets, like, yep. why not do the thing? Like, if you're going to do it, man, just go on just ahead. Do it. Yeah. And we've been talking about how they've just been addressing they have legacy gone issues yeah. head on all season. Like, they haven't been fiddling around the margins and sort of dancing around things they've really gone and done the the things and and gone big they've been very declarative i feel like that's the thing that's been getting me all season is that they're making really big declarative statements about a lot of things that i never expected them to and that Mm -hmm. is another reason why i think that they're going to go big in this last episode Mm -hmm. i also i don't I can't put my finger on why, but I feel like we're going to get human cast. I really wanted Dean to be elevated to Angel or something in that. But me too. Now I'm really thinking that we're going to get human cast. Mm-hmm. And I think the brothers are going to 
be separate at the end. And I think that Dane and Cass are going to go off to do their own thing, whatever that looks like for them. And Sam and Eileen will go off and do their own thing. And I think it'll be a loving, wonderful, healthy sibling relationship where they all love each other. They get Mm -hmm. together, but they aren't together all the time the way that it has been. They will have the freedom to have their own identities and have their own lives. Mm. Yeah. And then I think that they're going to go super duper meta and do something that sort of formally acknowledges that they're they're giving us the story because nothing ever really ends and the end has no end and mm-hmm. and what the the mixtape book club podcast says which is that the story only ends when we say it does mm-hmm. so i love that mm-hmm. i love that so that's what I think. Yep. And you know, I, I feel like that's also sort of just to just to piggyback off of that. The Empty says at one stage that the stories write themselves. Yeah. And I've been thinking about that too. And, and the idea of the story being bigger than any one person mm-hmm. and any one writer. Because even looking at this story like how many how many official writers have worked on this over the course of 15 seasons it doesn't belong to one writer and never has and so I love the idea of them taking that concept of like it it the story is bigger than the writers it it writes itself it becomes more and that kind of tying into the idea of like Cass he keeps coming back even when he was booted off because he was he was too important to the story and he was bigger than the writers that wanted to get rid of him, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I, I'm thinking about this concept of the story writing itself and the story being bigger than any one person and that tying into fandom mm-hmm. and fan fiction and how we all have ownership of these different stories and how the stories do write themselves because we all take what we love from the story and find different things that resonate, right? And then so many people go on and write their own version of the story. And as Becky said, writing's writing. Like she defended fan fiction to Chuck himself, who tried to sneer at it. And she was like, no, writing's writing. That's right. So, so I love this idea of of passing the torch mm-hmm. and the story continuing on beyond the end, because the story will continue to write itself in and through all of these fanfic authors and people who do edits and people who do art and comics and all of these different formats the story will keep on creating itself anew in all of these different ways. And it's that, yeah, that beautiful feedback loop of, you know, they've already said they'll probably come back in a couple of years. And so it'll be like us just sharing ownership, you know, like, okay, yep, you guys get to have it for a bit. Okay, we have it back for a while. Now you can have it again. You know, I just, I love that. And I love just how, like, my favorite thing about this show has always been how much it values its fandom and how much... They have made us a part of the show. And so once I saw 
19 and got through the initial what the f of it all, then <laughs> then I was able to get to, oh, that's what they're doing. It's brilliant. They're, oh, <laughs> they're going to go so meta and they're going to, they're going to bring us in. And now I can't see any other possibility. So I'm really excited, Krisha. I know. I am too. I'm nervous. I'm like super duper nervous, but mm -hmm. I'm really excited. Well, you know how we started off this whole season and I was like, I don't trust Dab. <laughs> I don't trust nobody. Nope. I was very much in a like, I I don't like, I don't know this guy. I don't trust him. Like, is he going to do right by the show? And I feel like over the course of doing this podcast, I've realized all of the different things that he's written that are mm. just so fundamental to what I treasure and value about Supernatural. Mm -hmm. And so I am actually going into this finale going, I trust Dab. I think he's going to take us home. I think so too. I think he's going to take us home in the right way. And I think this is going to be his legacy because we've been talking about legacy issues all season we've been talking actually about how a lot of the content that he's written or has been showrunner over has been incredibly Destiel centric mm -hmm. and Destiel friendly and so I I think that this is something that he had a vision for and is working towards specifically and will be his legacy for the show. I hope so. And I... The show deserves that. It does. It does. And, you know, like, just the very concept of them queering the entire show with the finale <laughs> is <laughs> incredible. And what that means for ideas about masculinity and what that will do in retrospect going all the way back to season one and Dean's character like it would be massive and it would dramatically reshape the legacy of this show for decades for decades for like and yeah, people will study it, it forever really... people mm -hmm. will study it forever people will come to it and celebrate it forever because of this thing and so I I, I think that this is absolutely what they're going to do and I like I still haven't wrapped my head around the concept that this is probably what's going to happen and when it does happen I'm going to lose my mind <laughs> and and cry a lot and yeah so I think again like to kind of close this out, I think again, we just need to validate that wherever people are, it's okay. Because mm -hmm. hope can be painful and hope can be triggering and hope can be difficult. So if you're struggling right now, that's okay. And, and we've wrestled too. Like, I think we're both in a very hmm. positive <laughs> headspace right now. But um, if you could uh, be a fly on the wall for some of the conversations uh, that we've had. Um, it's been a rough week, man. Yep. <laughs> it's been a rough week. It really has. <laughs> so, 
So um, I just want to really validate, you know, wherever people are with this, it's okay. And you're not alone. And you're just like so loved wherever you are in this whole emotional process of, of the final few days before we know. (laughs) Well, and the other, the other side of things is that if we're wrong and Mm -hmm. if we've misinterpreted, which Mm -hmm. who knows, right? It's not all about the writers. They don't get to make all the decisions. It, it could be network. It could be, uh, who knows Mm -hmm. if things don't go the way that we think they do. And we are all devastated at the end. We'll be here too. We'll still be here for that too. That's right. So it may not be pretty and it may not be nearly as positive as we've tried to be, but we'll be here. We will. And I think either way, we'll probably be like crying a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a, that's a foregone conclusion. It's just a, what is the ratio of happy to sad? (laughs) tears Mm -hmm. that's right that's right oh okay krisha this is our this is our last podcast before we know everything that happened in the course of supernatural seasons one through 15 that makes (gasps) me want to throw up but i know just just sharing the honest emotion that went with that It was, oh, God. Oh, boy. Okay. Okay. But. Okay. I didn't think that I'd be this excited. And I really am. I I am excited with a really big dose of queasy. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See which one wins. (laughs) Are you going to have a bucket next to the couch? Possibly. (laughs) Listen, I barely made it through 18 alive. I don't know how I'm supposed to get through this. (laughs) You know what? In all seriousness, we do it through community. Mm. And Very that's, much so. that's why I'm so glad to be doing this podcast with you. That's that's why we're doing the podcast, because we want everyone to who wants to have access to being part of community, to cope together, to, to have access to, you know, us talking things through together and our honest feelings and reactions. And and so, yeah, just really grateful for the SPN family and all the very lovely and special and incredible people that I've met through it and that listen to our show and for you. So, so much. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap it there. Okay. Okay. So (laughs) you can message us and stay up to date with the latest on our Twitter page and Instagram page. That's at the fangirl biz B-I-Z or B-I-Z. We will see you again next time, whatever it is. Until then, (laughs) carry on, wayward friends. We love you guys. Bye. Bye. Carry on, my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to Don't you cry no more
It's midnight. It does some weird shit at midnight every night.